and whether that's a testimony or something that's been happening uh, throughout your week. But I thought it would be a great opportunity to get Dave to get up, come up and share his sh- short testimony. <laughs> He'll have to summarise because he says he's got a long one. And then, and then I'm going to open up opportunity for anyone in here that um, wants to share something that God may be done this week. Short, short as well. Um, but yeah, Dave. Yeah, so my name's Dave Cusack. So um, country boy, grew up in Cowra. I was in a, um, I grew up in a, well, a Christian home where my mum was a Christian, my dad wasn't, or he sort of, I guess, turned away from God very early. So my mum really was the one that got us along to church, etc., encouraged us. So from a very young age, um, I remember being sort of about nine years old and wanting to be baptised and had an understanding that I knew God was real, I knew Jesus was real, I knew he died on the cross for me, um, and so I was baptised. But as I grew a bit older, I had a lot of um, non-church mates so um, I saw that they got to do things on Sundays and sport and so on that I couldn't do. And then as I got to a teenager, um, I started compromising. So going into pubs, going to parties, etc. cetera. Um, and I know and I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me when I did those things. I knew I was not doing the right thing. And then it got to a point when I was within church where um, we were in a a Pentecostal church and we had sort of gifts of the Spirit. And I remember thinking, that's a setup, you know. Um, You know, there'd be um, someone would bring a prophecy and then the preacher would preach on a similar thing. I said, ah, that's all. They met before church and worked that out. So I came to a point when I was a teenager that I was really deceived. And, um, And I really thought it was just that Christianity was just, um, in a sense, was just for weak people and and my friends and the world offered, you know, something better. And obviously it was wrong. And I went along, I went to uni and my whole thing was, okay, in my stupidity, I said, okay, God, if you're real, you know, show me. But in the m- meantime, I'm going to rack some sins up and... So I went to university and I, I did, the, you know, often the, the secular party life and I certainly did some things that even now I still regret. But within all that, I felt um, this wooing from God. I felt this wooing by the Holy Spirit where... When I wasn't doing those things and I was just doing everyday things like doing washing up in, in the house I was living in, I felt this presence um, that was saying, you know, Jesus is real, really bringing me back and my thoughts back to that when Jesus went to the cross, he actually went to the cross for my personal sin. And I'd actually say things like, go away, rack off. And I felt I, it wasn't fair that I grew up in the church and I didn't have time to have a clean decision about God or not. It was all brainwashed. But God kept on pursuing me and by his presence, um, by his Holy Spirit. And it got to a point where I would go, sometimes I'd go back to church in Cowra. I was, I was in Bathurst at uni, so it was only 100 k's up the road. And I'd feel filthy 
I literally remember walking across the church lawn, actually felt filthy. And I'd be in church and I'm thinking, I'm just playing the game here. And, um, and then Easter 1993 or something, I went and, you know, had a big night at uni and smel- smelled of vomit. <laughs> and I drove up with my mum and I was driving up my mum to the church Easter convention and um, I had a couple of old people in the back and I thought, Dave, what, you know, what, what's going on, you know? And the Holy Spirit was drawing me the whole time and I made a decision in my mind that when I got to the sort of first meeting that I'd, I'd really, God had just been drawing me to the point of, you, you know, Jesus is real, the cross is real, um, I love you, I'm a personal God and I accepted the Lord. At the first meeting I went out and asked the Lord into my heart and something changed and then, and then later on when I really con- said to my home community at Cowra that I'd accepted the Lord, the guilt that I felt literally fell away. Um, that was 20 odd years ago but God... Um, I feel that my Christian life's been up and down in a sense, but God's always been there. Um, and I even, um, God always draws close and he's broken me a couple of times. He broke me after I was baptised, after I resisted being baptised, after a few years of making a commitment. He broke me down to, hey, you need me get tight with me, etc. And even in recent times, in the last three months, um, I had a situation, I'm not going to go into it, but I had a situation where God had given me a scripture about a, a broken and contrite spirit and I'd sort of read it and went, oh, yeah, I'm going okay. Then I had a situation where I actually, God broke me to the point where um, I just had to cry out to him this is only in the last three months. You cry out to him and um, and get close to him and go, you know, you're my rock. I need you in this situation. So I guess my encouragement is that God um, is with you through every situation. Um, that the Holy Spirit, when he draws you, um, if that's for conviction or if it's showing you that he loves you, then our reaction should be to draw close. And if you're going for a trial, you draw close to God because um, God pursues us for a reason because he loves us. Um, if you know God, um, you're a son of the Father or, if you, or, or a daughter of the Father and God loves you no matter what part of your life you're going through or journey you're going through he's with you and that's what I've found Um, yeah and sometimes I've found that through having to God to really go hey get close um, when I've started to drift away Um, yeah so God's good and he's faithful he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you Um, And if you don't know the Lord, then um, you're on a journey. And, uh, yeah, at the cross, Jesus did it for you, all all for you. Thanks, Dave. It's good, mate. Does anyone else want to... Tom, you want to share a God story? 
side. Sick. We prayed, didn't we? Yeah. Oh, okay. Tommy was sick and we prayed for him and you got better, didn't you? Yeah. Well done. <laughs> um, does anyone else want to share a God story? I can. I've got one story. I, on Monday, I, I, I'm catching up with a guy. He's, he's on the journey now. Um, but he was an atheist, and I was just seeing what God's doing in him. Obviously, he's still early, so there's still things he's struggling with. Um, but yeah, we're just sitting down. He's just so hungry. I, I just amazed at where he's come from. Like, he went from not believing there was a God whatsoever. His whole family were down that, and yeah, it all started because I just said he actually came to church for his wife because his wife has got a bit of a background, but he didn't want to have a bar of it. And I just said, "Mate, let's catch up for a coffee." That was all I said. He said if I said to him, oh, let's catch up for a coffee and chat about God, he said he wouldn't have done it because I just said catch up for a coffee. And then he just started asking me questions and the grace of God, somehow I was able to answer a lot of his questions and then started the journey. Um, and then Monday, I'll just keep him reminded of what God's doing in him. And um, yeah, he's just so hungry to, to learn. And he hasn't even, even really chatted with his wife about it. And then I just, I challenged him. I said, what we talked about today, I want you to go home and talk to your wife about what we've chatted about. They did that. They opened the Bible together. Now they've been reading the Bible every night together. Um, I think that's a pretty cool story, what God's doing. Um, and he's been telling his family as well. He's got cousins going back to church because of him um, that were kind of connected with God. His father now is, doesn't believe in atheism because he's convinced him that it's not true. Um, so he's doing some amazing things around the people he influences. Yeah. Does anyone else want to share? Yeah? Come on, Nish. Can share from the chair. Well, as many of you know, my parents um, and me have robust debates, to say the least. Um, they're of a Hindu background, and I am too, but just by obligation. Um, but recently, um, something pretty cool happened. Uh, my dad... Um, like, you know, he just, you know, got some people in the area to take care of me when they left Canberra just to look out for me. And two of them I call my proxy parents because they're full-blown Australians living here and they're quite elderly. So we catch up for lunch once or dinner once in a while. And um, it was really strange. Um, one day I was having dinner with them and the topic of church came up and I don't readily bring up the topic of church with anybody because I'm very shy about it. But I did tell them that, you know, I'm doing this youth work um, through church. And then suddenly the conversation was like, I was really surprised because um, one of the, the, the proxy mom, I'll say, she was like, oh, are you Christian? I was like, yeah, I am. And she was very surprised because she knows my parents and she, she wouldn't have expected that. Just like, that's wonderful. I go to this church and la-di-da and everything. So that was nice. But the cooler thing was her and her husband had met at youth, actually. So they themselves had done something in youth when they were kids and the whole conversation just sort of went down that road. It was really nice to see that um, two people who I looked up to and respect um, could understand like where I was coming from. And it was sort of a confirmation for me as well that um, 
you know, I'm going, not that they're the confirmation of Christ or something, but like, <laughs> I could just tell that like um, my parents might feel more comfortable now because they used to think I was getting brainwashed and things like that. Um, although I'd do a lot of research myself and I, you know, every teenager demands to be treated like an adult. Um, so I do a lot of research and argue with them. Now, um, anyway, the praise point is that my parents are a lot more, I can notice it in their behavior with me. They um, say, oh, are you going to church today? Or do you and Trish go to the same church, the proxy mom? I was like, you never used to ask me questions. Like, you didn't even care which church I went to, let alone if it's the same church as someone else. <laughs> and um, I think because that couple is a well-respected couple in their corporate life and things like that. Um, sometimes you have to talk to people in the language they understand. <laughs> um, by seeing them partaking in this kind of activity, I think it's become a bit more credible, a credible source for them to be like, okay, our daughter's not cray-cray. She's, she's doing something that actually may be something to it. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's been great. And yeah, I'm just praying now that they'll be more curious and open up and ask more questions. We can have maybe dinner with those proxy parents and, you know, have it come up in conversation. But I'm not asking them to get baptized tomorrow. I'm just asking that they'll be open to a, a respectful conversation. So yeah. Yes, thank you. That's great. Um, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll continue the conversation. I encourage you to keep sharing. Oh, hey, oh are you going to share, mate? Yeah, cool. God always wants you to love your enemies even when they kill your family, then you should still love them even when they be really bad. Yes. That's awesome, mate. Fantastic. <laughs> That's great. I just, I just really want to encourage you after te having Tina. I think often when we hear God's stories, uh, we get this idea that we have to do something amazing and big. And, um, you know, you, obviously you can hear Nisha's story and, and understand that's the little things um, that God can do through you. And so I, I've best just been reminded that, you know, when we plant the seed, Often we think the seed is like this full gospel message. A seed can be little things by showing love or kindness of acts of kindness. It can be saying little words like God speaks to you. Um, we can all do that. We can all show that love and uh, be part of what God's already doing. So I want to encourage you as you go, be in tune with the Spirit. If you feel to do something to someone around you, I encourage you to act on it. Um, even if it feels weird at times, uh, I do think that we just need to be part of what the Holy Spirit's doing already. He's already at work. God is already at work. We've just got to be part of what God's doing. Um, so continue those things and don't give up on those people that you may have just... I just, We were just talking before about someone that, you know, had, you know, 10 years ago, someone spoke to and now they're on the journey, um, which is, is cool. So every little thing we can do does count. Um, Kids, want to head out? Yes, where are you gone? Jeez. Tommy, off you go, mate. Head out. Um, how good are the kids? And following up from that, like, I, I just, we've got to understand our kids are having an impact as well on the kids around them. So don't underestimate what God does through the kids 
as well. And so I love that Eli got up and shared that. Um, I think if you want, Kathy's going to get up. She's going to bring the word today. We're going to continue through Colossians. Um, if you want to grab something to eat or food, we're not going to do a big halftime break because I feel like we had a fairly good discussion before. But if you need to grab something or quickly go to the toilet, welcome to do that while Kathy prepares for the message. Everyone got their food ready? Got the popcorn? <laughs> All right, we might make a start. Just, um, oh, Dave's still making his tea, but that's okay. It's all good. <laughs> well, maybe just, I'm just going to pray. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. I thank you for... Um, teaching us through your word and through this letter in particular. I pray, God, that you'd um, expand our vision and our understanding of who Christ is and how that makes a difference in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going on to this series in the book of Colossians. So last week, um, just if you weren't here, we got introduced to the Colossians this group of people who are living somewhere in Turkey, my geography's not very good, a little place called Colossae. I believe it wasn't a very big place. Uh, Paul hadn't actually been there, but Epaphras, his colleague, had gone there and shared the gospel with these people, and they'd received the gospel with joy, and their hearts had been really transformed. He said, you know, I, I've heard about your love and your faith that springs from the hope um, that you have in heaven. 
and their hearts had been really transformed by the message. And so Cade was encouraging us to be a heart people, to be a, a people who are known for what's in our heart and for the transformation of our heart, not people who are just stuffed full of information um, in their head. So um, they'd made this wonderful start as new believers. But the thing was, they were a bit like an island in a whole sea of different philosophies. So Gnosticism was starting to take a hold at that time, this idea that you had to have some kind of special secret knowledge in order to achieve salvation. That's what the Gnostics believed. There was also probably some Judaizers in the region who were still insisting that people had to obey the Old Testament rules. And of course there would have been the, all the, um, you know, Greek and Roman gods, all those many gods and all their different temple practices and ritual worship. So these little group of believers were, were surrounded by all these other philosophies. And, and some of them, it sounds like from the way Paul's writing this letter, it sounds like some of them are kind of um, getting caught up in these philosophies. They're not really sure how it is they're supposed to go on in their faith in Christ. And so Paul's writing to them to try and keep them in the right place and um, protect them from these alternative philosophies. And, um, you know, you might think in our day, well, we don't have Gnostics like that. We don't have Judaizers kind of um, distracting us from our faith. But we're very similar in that we are also a group of believers in a culture that is surrounded by all sorts of different philosophies. So, you know, it's a very multi-racial society. There are many different religions around us. But there are also cultural narratives that, that present really alternative and really quite conflicting philosophies to the philosophies of, of the kingdom of God. So, for example, you've got this, this, this cultural narrative that says we've all got to be extremely tolerant. Don't you dare make a truth claim because everyone has their own understanding of truth. There's also this idea in our culture that the highest thing you can do is follow your heart that if you're not fulfilling your emotional desires that rise up within you, then there's something wrong with you. You're rep repressing your desires. And the highest thing you can do is to follow your heart and to you do you and all that kind of idea. So we're also in a place where there are lots of different philosophies that um, can subtly creep in to our experience and um, distract us from our walk with Christ. So I think this letter is really relevant to us as well. And so Paul's starting off. Um, so in the second half of chapter 1, he starts off by saying, He has rescued us, God has rescued us, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul's saying... You've been brought out of this kingdom of darkness. You've been brought out of one kingdom and now you're in another kingdom. You're in the kingdom of the sun. If you've been working in any group of people, like any teamwork sort of situation, a lot of public service people would understand this. In your team, I can pretty much guarantee that your team is influenced by the team leader. Your team leader kind of sets the direction and sets the tone. So we've got a new kind of big boss in our office. Her name is Paula. And she's all about, um, what's this new buzzword? Human-centred design. If you're in the public service, you'll appreciate buzzwords. Robin appreciates buzzwords. Anyway, she's all about this. So now we've kind of got to rejig the way we operate and the way we worked to line up with, with the big boss and what she says is going to go. 
And it's a little bit of a weak analogy. Um, yeah, because how can you compare the public service to the kingdom of God? But, you know, the point is we've come into a new kingdom and, and there's a king over this kingdom. So if you want to understand how to live in this kingdom, you've got to understand the nature of the king. And this is where Paul starts his address. He starts with this long passage about what the king is like. Because if you can understand what the king is like, you can understand how the kingdom, kingdom functions and how you ought to live in that kingdom. And so this teaching is really fundamental to all the things that Paul says later on in the other chapters. You've got to first understand who the king is. So being a Christian is not about just giving assent, mental assent, to certain ideas. Being a Christian is a decision to come under the authority of the king. So Paul starts with um, a, quite a long and quite a beautiful passage. It's probably some kind of poem or hymn that would have been um, spoken at that time. And so I want to read it as a whole because there's nothing worse than someone trying to pull apart a piece of poetry without just first appreciating it as a whole. So I will pull it apart, but I want to first just read the whole chunk. And so, um, Craig, would you mind putting that up? And if you want to close your eyes, if you, if you get things better, closed eyes, or if you want to follow along, you do what you want to do. This is from verse 15 in Colossians chapter 1. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all things, uh, all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether, on, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." So if all you kind of get out of this message is to go home and reread that passage and just spend some time in worship of who this Jesus is, that would be a great outcome. But I do kind of want to pull it apart and I want to share with you four things that I got out of this passage just by reflecting on them um, that help me understand how this kingdom operates. What's the right posture? What's the appropriate posture to live in? In view of who the king is, how should I position myself. These are the four things that I got out just quickly. If you could have that next slide, Craig. The posture of having a bowed knee. The posture of reaching out in relationship to God. The posture of dancing. And the posture of a pure heart, having a pure heart. Let me explain these things the, the way I saw them. Firstly, um, the Jesus presented to us here is Jesus, the king of all creation. In verse 15, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
And verse 18, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that word firstborn in this passage, it doesn't mean he was the first out of a series of brothers, like not birth order. It's not talking birth order. It's the use of the word is very similar to um, Psalm 89 verse 27. It's talking there about King David and it says, I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of all the earth. So when it says here, Jesus is firstborn, he's like the great king. Even more so than David, David was the king over other kings. Jesus is the king over everything, over all creation. The son is not part of creation. He's separate and over creation. He's king of it. He's also firstborn from among the dead. So not only is he author of original, our original world, the original creator, he's also the author of new life and resurrection life, salvation. He's the king of creation and ruler of the church. And as such, he is entitled to our complete allegiance and surrender. You know, as we come to him with a bowed knee, because he is king, we bring our stuff to him and bow before him in the midst of it. So instead of dealing with stuff in the same way as we would have done when we are in the kingdom of darkness, now in the kingdom of the light, as we bow before Jesus, we bring stuff to him. So for example, difficult relationships. Anyone have one of those? I, um, Kay's perfect. He has no difficult relationships. <laughs> but, but Rachel probably has a difficult relationship if that's his attitude. But anyway, you know, I have... People at work are classic. I mean, it's so easy just to kind of deal with those work difficult relationships sort of separate, um, like it's in a separate bubble in your head, not part of the kingdom. But, but if Jesus is king over all creation, he's king over the workplace and king over your relationships there, then you deal with them as, you know, with a bowed knee before him and say, Jesus, how in the kingdom do I deal with this relationship? So I had someone on Friday who's, I think the, the modern word for it is a troll. Someone who's just going to say something to you to make you irritated and upset. And I, you know, he, he was, wor- it was working on me. He was trolling. <laughs> and I started saying, Jesus, how am I going to respond to this? And I don't think I quite got it quite right on Friday. I think I'm going to have to fix a bit more on Monday. But that's okay. I'm getting there, you know. But we, we come in the kingdom. We have a bowed knee and our stuff. We bow before this king. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sorry, I'm pulling an extra bit out of Philippians there. But that's the attitude. So in the kingdom, our posture is to have a bowed knee before the king. Secondly, to be in this kingdom is to enjoy relationship with this king. Once again, in verse 15, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, for in him all things were created. And then jumping down to verse 27, which we haven't read yet, um, it says, God has chosen to make known the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just hang in with me there. I'm going to explain where I'm going with this. So the Son is the manifest presence of the Father. He's the presence and the face of the invisible, immortal God. They are one and the same. 
Okay, as it says in Hebrews, in this last day, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So the son and the father aren't separate gods ruling different bits of heaven or something like that. The son and the father are one. Um, the son is there at creation. You see that. He's the king of creation and he, he formed the world. Through him all things were created. And then the son comes to dwell with us by the spirit. Further down, that's where that, why I pulled that bit out. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we affirm in our understanding of God, we affirm one God in three persons. And that's just a not a New Testament doctrine. You know, some people say, oh, well, the Trinity's not in the Bible. You know, you Christians are crazy, you know. But clearly, there's teaching of all the aspects of God in the Bible, even if that word Trinity is not used. And it's not just a New Testament concept. Um, it's there in Genesis, first chapter of Genesis, Genesis 1.26. Let us make man in our image. There's that revelation of the plural nature of God. Now, why does this matter? Who cares about weird theological concepts? Well, it really makes a difference, and no one explains it better than this guy, Nabil Qureshi. You might have read his book, um, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. He also wrote a second book, No God But One, where he explains the difference between Islam and Christianity very, very clearly. And this is what he says in his chapter about the Trinity. Since mankind is made in the image of the triune God, love is woven into our very nature. The eternal love of God is intrinsic to who he is, like built right in. Each person of the Trinity loves the others selflessly. It was out of this selfless love that God created mankind. No other worldview so deeply embeds into mankind the obligation to love and care for one another. This doctrine of the Trinity is not just a theological curiosity. It has far-reaching implications for how we ought to live and how we see the world. Do you kind of get that? Like God, within the very nature of God is the idea of relationship, that, that the Father and the Son love each other and the Father and the Son and the Spirit relate to one another. And so that very idea of relationship was there before he even created the world. It's fundamental to who he is. So no wonder Jesus said all the time, the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus presents the Father by his presence, by becoming manifest in the, in the form of a man, and then he sends his spirit to us that we might experience that relationship in a personal way. So the spirit is not some impersonal force. It's the very presence of Christ coming to us. And so when you get that picture of who God is and the fact that God actually comes and dwells within you by his spirit so that when I'm walking out to work tomorrow and I'm walking into my office, Christ is there walking into my office with me. That's got to affect the way I relate to people when I really get that. And it also gives us such confidence that we can always reach out to God in relationship with him because relationship is what he is all about. He wants us to call out to him and be in that relationship with him. 
And so the second posture of the kingdom is to reach out and live in relationship with a relational God. Third thing, let me continue on a bit further down now, verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. In everything he might have supremacy. Or some versions say preeminence. So every other power or authority is a created thing under his lordship that owes its origin to Jesus, this God King. There is no higher power. This is Jesus plus nothing. And he holds all things together. This is the bit you've got to preach back to me when I get into my flustered, control-freaked state and my world is not going the way I want it to go. He's holding all things together. This is in little things and big things. Little things, yesterday I was taking my mother out, I was trying to take her out, but the permission to take her out had not got through to the nursing home. You have to ask permission. And um, it was incredibly frustrating and the staff were trying to do the right thing. They wanted to follow the rules and so forth. Um, And I was getting incredibly flustered and frustrated because my plan was not working. We got her out in the end, which was good. But in him, all things hold together. In him. And I was saying that to myself in my head as I was getting more and more frustrated and and flustered. No, it's, it's okay. It's okay. In him, all things hold together. And that's just little things, but it's big things as well. You know, there's a few things in my life that are like a piece of a, of a big jigsaw puzzle and you haven't done the puzzle yet and you kind of look at it and you go, there's nowhere where that puzzle piece could possibly fit. That puzzle piece makes no sense. But what I understand and what I do is I hold that puzzle piece and know, hey, God, Jesus holds all things together and one day that puzzle is going to be completed and it's going to make sense. But in the meantime, he holds all things together. So what does that mean for the way I live? This is a pressure-free life. Knowing that he holds all things gives me a place of peace and it gives me a a place of, of freedom. And that's why I put the dancing feet up to represent this posture, because he's in control. I don't have to control everything. Jesus is in control He is the one all-sufficient intermediary between God and humanity. We don't need anything extra. We don't need any extra rules or special powers or special knowledge. This is Jesus plus nothing. We don't even have to have the pressure to fulfill all the goals and things like that. You know, you've got to reach your goals. You've got to reach your potential, all this extra stuff. We We can be satisfied with Jesus plus nothing. He alone is king and he holds all things together. We don't need to feel um, intimidated by earthly rulers or governors, nor do we need to live in fear of other spiritual powers because he's over them all. He's completely in control and our feet can dance. But what if we fail this king? 
what is this king going to do? If you read the stories where, you know, there's kings in the stories, that, you know, our culture, we don't really understand what it is to have a king, but you can read the fantasy stories. And what happens to the people if um, they fail their king in the fantasy stories? It often doesn't go well for them. But that's not the case with our king. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So in this kingdom, we're gifted with clean robes to wear before the king. As we come into the kingdom, we receive that gift of a cleansed heart. And even when we fail, we can keep going back to that king. And he brings us back to that place of without blemish, free from accusation. So in this kingdom, we live with a pure heart. But there's a little bit more. Let me read from verse 25. I've become, this is Paul talking, I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in all its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them... God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we've got this wonderful king. He's king over all creation. He's king over resurrection life and new life. And we can have that absolute confidence in him that he will also recreate us in a place where we can live with him for all eternity. One last verse from Ephesians chapter 1. When you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. So to live in the kingdom is to live also in confidence in the Spirit's work within us. So what's the posture of the kingdom? It's having a bowed knee before the king. It's always reaching out to him, seeking relationship with him. It's living in a place where we can dance and have a pure heart and be confident that the spirit is going to recreate our new life in us. So let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you for who you are today, that you are a mighty king, but you love us and call us into relationship with you. We pray that you help us to understand your nature and to live um, in an experience of knowing who you are in freedom in this kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Are we doing groups or not? We're doing groups. All right. So what I'd like you to do is find a small-ish group, a little group, and um, chat about any of those things that spoke to you or anything that I didn't say that spoke to you anyway.